And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode 111 of the Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have a monumental, groundbreaking paradigm shifting interview with my dear buddy Shannon Graham. Shannon Graham is one of the top personal coaches in the country, if not in the world. He works with high performers and he is an incredible human being with incredible knowledge, incredible insight into the human condition and helps people all over the world at the highest levels reinvent their paradigm and their self-identity around what they believe is possible and how to achieve their version of success through activating their their internal drive for purpose and really fulfilling their purpose and enjoying their success at the same time and this conversation was so pertinent it was so it was so great for me personally as a as an entrepreneur and a, a coach and a, a leader in this field just to get some of the nuggets that he shared. One of the things in particular that I love so much towards the end of the interview that we really spent a lot of time digging into was the power of our identity and who we believe we are. A lot of times we're trying to change our behavior. We're trying to change what we believe is possible and we're trying to change our actions but somehow there's resistance and we can't quite line it all up together and we sabotage ourselves. and the conversation was really about when we shift our identity when we shift who we believe we are then our actions come into alignment in accordance with our core fundamental identity so 
You are going to get a lot out of this interview. It is going to rock the boat, so to speak, but in a good way, in a great way. It's it's gentle, but it's direct. And I am really excited to share this conversation between me and Shannon Graham with all of you. And I look forward to hearing what you think about it and how this affected your your paradigm and how this shifted you from what you believed was possible to now what you're committed to making possible. So enjoy this interview with Shannon Graham. Recognized across the globe as a premier motivational speaker and leader in the self-help and coaching industry, Shannon Graham has developed a number of transformative coaching programs to tackle the hurdles of life and business. Some of Shannon Graham's more recent innovations include the Ultimate Lifestyle Intensive, a highly popular weekend mentor coaching program that helps developing coaches skyrocket their personal and professional success and legacy. Shannon's Intensive one-on-one program for visionary entrepreneurs, which combines one-on-one coaching with a powerful mastermind. It's my pleasure, honor, and excitement to introduce Shannon Graham. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah, and it's been a long time coming from my perspective, and uh, yeah, I just think we're going to have such an amazing conversation We've been connecting a little bit more recently, just here and there, and tuning into each other. And I love the work that you're doing in the the. I, I would look at like the human potential coaching space um, more than just like the self help. I, I think that's a that's kind of a, a term that most of us are used to. But I, I like human potential. That resonates with me personally, and I feel like that's the work that you're doing. You're helping people really. Um, receive a completely new self-identity around what their potential is is like. Does that does that land for you? I would say that's a hundred percent accurate. What inspires you about that? I'm curious. Like, what what is it? Maybe something from your childhood or your 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 superhero origin background. You know where you came from, and what what's that inspiration that that motivates you to help people expand the way they live their life and what is possible for their life? Sure. Well, I think it has two two parts. The first part is I um, I was. I was able to experience some really um, excellent growth myself. So I had a firsthand experience of what human potential really was. Um, And so that led me to want to share it with other people. And when I started to do this work with other people and saw the result that they were able to get from it, um, that that lit me up to a level like nothing I had experienced before. It it produced a level of fulfillment for me that I had not experienced before because, you know, I think it's one thing to do things for yourself, which is, is great and has a lot of merit. Um, and I think that when you do things for other people, it, it, it just taps into something very different. So I was able to experience both sides of that. And that is what gave me the inspiration to really continue doing it. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. I'm I'm finding that the more I show up, regardless of what my circumstances are, regardless of what I think I have or don't have to get the job done, um, 
I find that just showing up in support of other people, when I'm really focusing on helping people, I stop thinking so much about myself. Therefore, I tend to show up in a bigger way. And it's kind of interesting where I'm noticing that I'm actually becoming more fulfilled and more excited about life the more I can get out of my own self-limitation and just show up for other people. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. I think I think there is a caveat there that's important to talk about because I think there is an epidemic in the kind of personal development um you know coaching space where very often what happens is people have such a deep desire to give that they overlook themselves. Um, this is really prevalent in the industry big time. And that can be detrimental. That can be dangerous because, um, you know, when you you give that which you do not have, it, it creates some major challenges both for yourself and the people who receive from you. And um, so, yes, I believe that giving under the right context can be one of the most fulfilling things um, as long as it's under the right context. Let's let's uh, unpack that context a little bit more because I absolutely agree with you. It's something that I had uh, I had created for myself years ago in my my field that I just kept going and speaking and 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 just pushing the limits of what I could I could do and and I guess praying that you know eventually I would be reciprocated, which which I have been, and it was because I made that shift from being totally altruistic to being more reciprocal in my altruism. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, here's the challenge. Um, First of all, it's always easier to tell somebody else what to do than to do it yourself. And so what I find is that there's a lot of people that have a lot of great knowledge of self-help or success technology or anything like that, um, and they want to help other people. Um, and I think if we want to be as brutally honest as possible, what they really want is help themselves. And yet they feel like they're in this role where they have to be a leader and they have to give and they have to create value. So they sacrifice what they really want in, in kind of spite of this kind of bigger picture. Um, and then of course the ego plays into it, right? So the ego is like, well, you are this person. So, you know, you have to keep showing up as that person when in reality, they just want to be filled up themselves. And so I find the absolute best thing that, that a person can do in any context, but especially in the, in the industry of helping other people is to get yourself into a state of absolute overflow. And I mean that uh, mentally, I mean that physically, I mean that energetically, I mean that financially, I mean that across the board. Because what I find is um, when you give that which you do not have, you turn those who receive from you into thieves. And it creates this sticky, funky relationship because you secretly don't really want to give, but you feel like you kind of need to or have to or whatever, so you do. 
And then the people receive from you aren't at a level where they can really feel into that you probably shouldn't be giving in the first place. So they take, and then there's this weird resentment that you have to them, not you personally, but that people have to them that, yeah, it just creates some stickiness. So, and this all comes from my own personal experience. I gave, I overgave, and I gave that which I didn't have for a long, long time. And it didn't nourish me and it didn't help me in any way. And um, in India, they have this great saying, uh, you cannot give from an empty bowl. And so uh, I spent a, a, a large season of my life just filling my cup so that I could get into overflow and so that everything that was in the cup was for me and everything that flowed out of it was for everyone else. And that, that, that by far changed the game. When I was in overflow in all of these different categories, especially financially, then I found that I could show up and give to a level that I've never been able to give before. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a powerful point. And it's one that all of us on the entrepreneurial and, uh, I guess, professional mentorship path have to really solidify. We really have to get this lesson and not just get it conceptually, but to integrate it as an embodiment, right? Uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, who I, I recently interviewed about a week ago, you know, he's so funny about the way he phrases these similar concepts. He said that you can't be the light of the world if you can't pay your light bill. <laughs> you know, it's just like it gets you thinking about like what does what does the nature of prosperity really mean and look like, you know? And I think I think there's a tendency and I'd love to get your take on this. I think that there's a tendency in the personal development field to oversimplify things that aren't necessarily that simple or that black and white. And it's um, there's like this this tendency to to talk about things on the surface, like prosperity being a surface conversation. But to me, it's much deeper. It's an integrative and holistic conversation like you just mentioned being prosperous or overflowing in all areas of your life and I just feel like oftentimes we forget about that and just kind of focus on the extrinsic you know like the the money or the material measurement as a sign of success or prosperity Mm -hmm. Um, yeah well like I said first of all there is the there is the component where it's way easier to tell somebody what to do than to do it yourself so what you have is a lot of people in the industry who want to tell people what to do, um, and they haven't they haven't done it themselves, and so that that that's a challenge. Um, and I think you're right. We also have an industry that kind of prides itself on oversimplification, um, or or that like anybody can do it kind of thing. And so what that leads to is a bunch of people who kind of jump right into it expecting to hit the ball out of the park like their very first year or their very first month or whatever. Um, and, uh, and trust me, I'm, I'm all for human potential and doing the impossible. And anyone who even knows me a little bit knows that I'm probably one of the best examples of that. And yet there is something very real about the time it takes to achieve greatness. Oh, yes. 
And, um, and all you have to do, the great thing about the coaching industry is it's like a little, it's its own little world. But if, if you can step out of that world and observe any, literally any other vertical in life where there is greatness, like music or sports or anything, martial arts, the people at the top of those games, it took them over 10 years easily to get there. You know, like the old classic, like every overnight success is 10 years in the making. And so there, there is, Simon Sinek hit this one right on the head. This, this newer generation just has a fundamental lack of patience. And, um, and again, with that, that's a whole conversation in itself. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think what matters most is um, there's, there's really two, two things that matter most. Why are you doing what you're doing? And is what you're doing actually producing the results that you are so inspired by? So, for example, if your job is to help people, and again, this, this is where a lot of people um, argue with me. I, I butt heads with a lot of people on this, but I think that, um, I think that I'm right, of course. <laughs> um, but the idea is this. If you want to help people then the number one measurement for your success under that context is one of two things. Either A, how many people have you helped, or B, how deeply have you helped some people? So, for example, there's this, um, there is this illusion of impact in the kind of success world. So, so um, you know, uh, for example, if I sold a million copies of my book. Well, on paper, that would look pretty good. And I could pretty much ask just about anyone and say, hey, I sold a million copies of my personal improvement, you know, self-development book. Don't you think I've made a big impact? And most people would say yes. And if you look at the data, because as much as I believe in magic, I also believe in science. Right. As much as I like to daydream, I also like numbers because numbers don't lie. If we look at the data, over 95% of people who buy self-help books don't even read them. They don't even read them. And trust me, I've studied this to a very like the finite degree. And the reason is the science behind this is because if you want to make a change in your world – and you spend money on it, well, you worked hard to earn that money. And then so therefore, when you pay that money to acquire a book or a course or whatever, you feel simply in the transaction that you're, that you're justified. You feel just in the transaction like you've done something because technically you have. You've, 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 you've symbolically made a gesture that you are investing in yourself in some way, shape, or form. And so that gets you off the hook from actually having to do anything, right? I don't need to read the book. The majority of people who have ever bought Tony Robbins stuff haven't even opened it. It's still at their house on the shelf unopened. That's a true story. And so... So I came up with this philosophy of what I call the highest probability of the deepest impact. That is the way to measure your work, 
right? Like what if you could only get paid after people got results? How many, how many people in the like product or book space would make a bunch of money? Probably like none of them or very few. So this, this philosophy of the highest probability of the deepest impact puts the responsibility of change directly in your hands. And ideally, it completely changes how you show up and what you do in the world in regards to helping people, creating change. Because there is, in my opinion, a very big difference between the illusion of change, a million books sold, or let's say one person that you worked with, one client or customer or whatever, that you absolutely transform their life to like a million miles of depth worth of like change. Which one's better? Well, depends on how you measure. Depends on how you measure. And so I just created a unit of measurement that I think is maybe not the most ultimate way, but certainly um, a superior way to what has been up till now. And so that has radically changed how I show up and, and what I uh, offer to the world because I only want to offer things to the world that I know have a high probability of creating deep impact. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible way to frame it. And it brings up another kind of conversation in my mind that I think is complimentary, which is do people need to make an investment ahead of time in order to do the work? And that's kind of an interesting conversation in our field as well, right? Because there's the, there is the, hmm, there's the conversation or the, the assumption, which I think is yeah. a pretty solid assumption, that people do need to be willing to make a powerful investment that isn't always money, not for everyone. Some people have a lot of money, but sure. the investment is like, am I willing to prioritize the work, like the time away from my family or the time away from work to do this work with, you know, let's say like a coach or something, um, yeah. that might be their investment. So I'm curious totally. what your perspective on that conversation is. Yeah. So uh, of course, in the coaching industry, most people would tell you that, of course, you need to make a financial commitment in order to solidify your results, which I would agree with almost. Um, of course, the coaching industry thrives off of making money like that's like, uh, so of course they would say that, like, you know, that like everyone would go out of business if you didn't say that. But again, if we take it out of the context, if we begin to open our field of vision, I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. There was a kid in Africa, little, small, small town, very poor, just barely like they have, I think, one computer in the town that they all share that has like barely has Internet access. And this kid lost his arm. I can't remember how. Um I don't remember exactly, but he lost his arm. He went to YouTube and he learned about robotics. And he literally, from, from just the little, you can imagine this little town doesn't have a lot of extra stuff. But just with what he could find in the town, he made himself a bionic arm. Purely from watching YouTube videos. Another, another kid on the other side of Africa 
had a, a farm and they had, um, I don't know what kind of animal they had, but they had them in this fence. And these, these animals, I think they were lions, were getting either under the fence or over the fence and they were killing the animals. And so this kid goes on the internet and he finds out how to make this basically like deterrent. It's basically like a, a motion sensor plus lights plus sound that deter the lions. And he figured it out 100% himself and built it himself with, again, just stuff that they found around town. And they haven't had any problems with lions since. So, dude, that's crazy. Like, kid builds himself a bionic fucking arm. Like, what? Like, from YouTube videos? Like, come on. So the bottom line, the, the reason I share those stories is, is this. The, the number one thing that is most important for fundamental and drastic change is a drastic decision. That's it. Those, those kids had no money, zero money. But what they did have is a decision, a line in the cement, not in the sand, to do something. And so they did. So yes, yes, a financial commitment can be symbolic of that decision, absolutely. But it doesn't have to be. Mm. Yeah, what what came up for me, the word that came up for me from that was resourcefulness. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's not it's everyone so or not everyone, but many people are so concerned about futuristic kind of um, uh, circumstances that are going to infect or are going to affect the, their current way of living. Therefore, that becomes more, I guess, more of a focus. And, um, you know, it, it essentially people are in kind of like some kind of survival, weird scarcity realm of living where, they're, it's taken away their ingenuity, right? Their their ability to actually be resourceful, regardless of their circumstance. Like the example you just made is one that I would challenge pretty much everyone I've ever met in my life to to find a time in their life where they were up against that level of of uh, I guess lack of options, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. And yet so many people, I just find it interesting and in myself too, I sp- I'm, I'm speaking, I'm, my hand is up too, because I realize times in my life where I'm complaining, or I'm not looking at um, what can I do, I'm looking at why I can't do something. So I just, yeah. I just find that an important point, like, you know, or just actually I'll reframe it in a question. On that note that you just you just brought up, like how important has resourcefulness been for you when you may not have been able to see a way out of a certain circumstance? Yeah, it resourcefulness is responsible for almost all of my success. Mm. Almost all because I grew up, you know, certainly without Mm. And um, I was even actually homeless for a short time in New York City. Mm. Um, you know, and now I live, I'm, I'm blessed. I live in an amazing house on a hill in Santa Barbara, California. I dr- drive a fun sports car and <laughs> there's pretty much no experience that I can't have at this point. And, um, and 
that ability to say, okay, I might not have the resources at my fingertips, but I have the ability to create them. Yes. Mm. And so it does take a level of responsibility because if you, if you want to blame and talk about like what you don't have, that's a, that is a victim mentality. And I'll tell you, Ronnie, I absolutely conditioned. I did martial arts from about age five to about 20 to the age of 20. And one thing that I learned, I learned a lot of things, but one thing that I definitely learned was um, to condition myself. Yes. And there is a level of self-awareness that comes with that conditioning. And so I used that. I borrowed that conditioning and, and that mindset and that spirit that I got from martial arts and I applied it to business. And what that did for me was it helped me become hyper aware of any victim language that I had. Uh, mm-hmm. And if I ever found myself complaining or, you know, just being in that victim role, then I would immediately course correct myself. And what I realized was the more I took responsibility for being the creator of my life, the more resourcefulness I had. And the more resourcefulness I had, the more resources I had. And the more resources I had, you know, you know how they say the rich get richer? Yeah. Well, it's not because they have an abundance of resources. That's certainly part of it. I don't want to like, don't get me wrong. Of course, that's part of it. But what it really has more to do with is that they're just super resourceful. Mm-hmm. Like that's how, how do you think they got there in the first place? Like, and some people would say, yeah, Shannon, but like maybe they were born with it. Okay, great. Like, Let's trace it back. Yep. At some point, somewhere, somebody wasn't born into it. <laughs> right? Like, I don't – you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, absolutely. At, at some point, somebody got resourceful. <laughs> you know? So it's like – so I said, okay, cool. So I started to realize that resourcefulness was really the key and, um, and responsibility. Mm. So I said, oh, if I don't have something, then I, I can create it as long as I take responsibility for it. That's pretty cool. And then once I started to actually get the results of that, like, oh, I want to take my income to a completely new level. Oh, I want to move into a new house. Oh, I want this experience. I want to do this, da-da-da-da-da. The more I started to do that, the more I started to see how powerful the, resourceful, the resourcefulness was and then it's kind of like once you see something, you can't unsee it. It's like once you realize right. the magic that you have, there's kind of no going back. Mm-hmm. That was that right there is a, such a good point. It just brought up in this awareness in me that once I started making a certain amount of money, um, pretty routinely. Um, where that was a big, you know, it was like a glass ceiling before because I didn't grow up doing that. And all my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ventures were, were um, well, let's just say they weren't that successful. Um, once that started to happen to me, a new reference point was created. And I noticed every time it would start to drop below and I wouldn't be such a good steward to what I had created for whatever reason – I started to experience pain and for a long time I tried to avoid the pain and as we do, we medicate it, we sedate it, we distract ourselves with endless amount of 
things. Um, but once I started paying attention to it, I realized that it wasn't like pain of being punished, right? It wasn't like something to take personally. It was just like I dropped below my standards that I had, I had, um, created. So it's like what you just said, like I had seen the top of the mountain, so to speak. Um, but now I found myself kind of like rolling down the hill and that created a little bit of pain where it was like, okay, I don't actually, I know what's possible now. So, um, I can't allow myself to keep rolling down the hill unless I want to experience more pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So now we're having the standards conversation. Yes. So that, I mean, that really is what happens when you make a decision to change anything is ultimately you're creating a new standard for yourself. That's where the highest probability of deep impact comes from. I realize that there is a major difference between saying you want to help people and actually making a measurable difference in people's lives. Wow. Yeah. And so... The only reason that you would adhere to one or the other is your standards. But we have to go deeper than standards if we're really going to get to the bottom of of what it is. Because standards are one thing, but identity is something completely different. Yes. Your standards are purely just a function of your identity. So you can implement new standards and it can be successful most of the time. But if you don't change your identity at a core level then you do not experience the global shift that's available to you. Mm. So essentially what we're talking about is the ability to reinvent ourselves. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think I think what people forget is your identity is completely made up. <laughs> yeah, totally. It is. It's a it's 100% made up. Whoever you are right now is just made up and you either made it up consciously or it kind of just got slapped together um unconsciously. But either way it's 100% changeable. Yes. 100% changeable. And so that gives us the freedom to say great, who do I want to be? Who am I? And by, and you can even reverse engineer. You can say, what, what do I want to do in the world or what kind of results do I want to create? What kind of experiences do I want to have? And you can reverse engineer that down to, great, what type of identity then does that mean I get to have? Mm-hmm. Right? And then you can begin to adopt that identity and that identity comes with a certain level of standards. Mm, to maintain right? it. it to maintain it. It's so funny how many people in this w- world don't lie simply because they identify, <laughs> identify identity, right? Same mm-hmm. kind of concept as Christian. Right. Like as soon as they slapped on that identity, all of a sudden they're not willing to lie anymore. They might be being lied to, but they're not willing to lie. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down I just, a, a I just had time. to throw that out there. But yeah, that's... <laughs> But just just so funny, right? Like what we do is such a function of who we think we are. Like that's why moms, like most mothers overgive because they just think that that's their role. Like they totally. think their role as a mother 
is they just have to give and give and give because that's just what moms do. Well, if that's wow. what that is, that is the core identity statement. People like me do things like this. Ooh. Ooh. Right. So if I'm a mom, well, what do the other moms do? Well, they just overgive and they just do everything they have to for their family. Well, then I guess that's what I must do because I am the same. If I do what they did, then I'll be the same as them. So it's, I kind of have to follow this thing. That's what a good Christian does. They don't lie. Well, I guess that's what I better do because that's what I am. And so it's powerful. It can be very powerful in a positive context, and it can be very detrimental in a negative context, just completely on what's going on inside. Whew. Yeah, wow. And so it's like the way that I receive it is so commonsensical. And it's like conceptually, because if you've been in the personal development world for, you know, like like as long as you have and I have for at least almost two decades on my part, these are concepts that are very familiar. One of the things I was talking with Michael Beckwith about was the, the, the idea that a lot of people in the spiritual community are thinking about prosperity. They're thinking about abundance, yet they're still living in survival. And it brought up this whole conversation about embodiment as the integration and an embodiment from idea in our head to translating to integrating into our physical nervous system where it becomes an embodiment of who we are. So, for example, just to give a quick example for me, I eat organic food. I'm not going to eat genetically modified um, conventional chemical sprayed food. That, sorry, that's not going to happen. No matter what my circumstance tells me, that's my identity. That's an embodiment. Therefore, I don't deter from that, right? That's something that has been integrated. So it's like, I just, I, I'm, yeah, just the, this conversation around like integrating these concepts into it becoming a function of who we are, I think is just, it's not talked about enough. And I'm super excited about that conversation. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think that, uh, again, one of the major epidemics in the success space is that um, thinking about prosperity doesn't doesn't bring it about. Mm. And um, the way that we can prove that is there are tons of people who have read the book Think and Grow Rich. Oh, yeah. And almost none of them are rich. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Interesting, but they they've all read it and they can all tell you all about it. But that's that's where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to know something; it is another thing to be something. Mm. That's why the book is not called "Think and Get Rich." It's called "Think and Grow Rich." Yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, so what happens is most people hold these thoughts of prosperity, but when they do it, they do it from a place of thinking that that thing, that prosperity is separate from them. Mm. They think that it's something that someday eventually they will meet like a, like a soulmate, like one day I'm just going to turn around the, the, the block of the, or I'm going to turn the corner at the grocery store and she'll just be there. And that's, that's the fundamental disconnect. Mm. 
is that it's that it's always separate from you, and it becomes very convenient because um, most likely the identity isn't lined up with that prosperity. And so, because if it if the if the identity was lined up with the prosperity, then it would probably already be there, and you wouldn't be thinking about it. Yeah. Mm. So it it in it, it in a way, this is going to sound kind of harsh, but it really, in a way, is a form of what I would call creative avoidance. Like the best way to, to the best way to avoid getting to prosperity is to think about it. Oh, oh, let's do that. Let's go there, Shannon. You just hit, you just hit a <laughs> real good, real good point. <laughs> I can feel, I can feel my whole system tingling. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just this, it's, unless your identity is matched with what you want, then it's it, it either A, you won't have it, or B, you will have it, and either it just again, won't connect, it won't nourish you the way that it's meant to, or you'll sabotage it. Done that. Any any one of those three options, in my opinion, no one deserves. Mm. <sighs> the sabotage thing is quite fascinating to me. I, I've seen the patterns in myself. I've seen how I've I've creatively and not so creatively sabotaged any level of success at different levels. And it, you know, it's interesting for me too. And I think this this might be relevant. Um, I found as I identified that for me, I, I have this type A super achiever, overcome any adversity whatsoever, and in fact. The only way to achieve is to overcome adversity. Therefore, I need to create problems out of nothing. Right. <laughs> so I noticed like, okay, I'm, I'm like, okay, you just like made 10,000, 15, 20,000, where before that was not something I even knew how to do. And then it started to become kind of easy. And I was like, oh, this is getting too easy. Uh, let's, let's create a problem. And then let's bring it back down to, you know, whatever, whatever mark would create enough pain. And then now I have something that, you know, now I have a boulder to push up a hill. Right. Yep. 100%. I see this all the time. It's very common. And again, it boils down to identity. Mm. If you fundamentally believe that you're a survivor or that you're a fighter or that you're a warrior, fill in the blank. In the, in the military, they have this great saying, if you're a hammer, then the whole world is a nail. Totally. Right? So if you have this fundamental belief that who you are is a survivor, a fighter, uh, you know, like a, 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 a struggler and, a, and then a triumpher, then you're always going to have to have another battle to fight. Hmm. And there's a layer, there's a level of flow and grace that you just fundamentally reject. Oh, yeah. Right? So that identity must shift so that when you do get up into that nice cushy atmosphere where you're like, ooh, I have more money than I even know what to do with right now. Mm. And I'm only going to continue to get more. And I don't need to create problems. I don't need to burn it all to the fucking ground and just like 
you know, rebuild it all and push this boulder up the goddamn hill again because that's not who I am. Mm. I don't need to do that. Mm. Yeah, identity, man. It is everything. Everything, it is a trickle-down effect. Your beliefs, thoughts, feelings, actions, results all stem from that. So if you're not happy with any piece of that chain anywhere down the line, results tend to be the greatest indicator because they're just a surface reflection of everything you know, up the chain. If there is anything in the results or any, uh, any other piece of the chain that you're not happy with, there's only one place to look. Mm-hmm. What is the identity that I've subscribed to that is creating these results? And, and what is the... What is the identity that I get to now subscribe to that will allow me to have everything I want and not burn it to the ground? You know, it's so fascinating <clears throat> as, I, as I reflect on what you're sharing and I look at different areas of my life that I'm like non-negotiable about. And I've created different identities throughout my life to match different um, overarching goals. And so I can see the theme even on an unconscious level. You know, for example, a very, a very easy one is I'm a vegetarian and, and I've, I've been, I've, I've subscribed to that particular model of lifestyle for almost 10 years. And when people ask me, you know, like, and nowadays when people ask like, why, why are you plant-based, vegetarian, da, 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 and it's kind of like, my answer is so much different than it used to be. It's very, just very quick. It's like, well, that's just who I, it's just what it is for me. Like, I don't, I don't have a dogma. I don't have, a, I've gone through all those phases and, and, um, it's just what is, what is real for me. And it's just who I, it's just part of who I am now. So it's like, I don't have any struggle with it or, or get these weird cravings that, that, um, Maybe many people do because that's not part of their identity. So it's just kind of, I'm just drawing a quick example from a, from a lifestyle perspective. It's like, that's just what lines up for me. And that's what I believe is correct for me. Therefore, there's really no, there's really no like alternative, I guess. Right. Right. As soon as, as there is a huge difference, your identity, when you really saturate into it, becomes unconditional. What that means is there is zero rationalization or justification for it. Yes. Because as soon as you have to rationalize or justify your identity to anyone, even yourself, you've lost. Yeah. Because identity and love, in my opinion, are the same. Ooh. So let's let's use mm. let's because again, remember Ronnie, I'm all about contrast. Mm. The greatest way to understand anything is to look outside the thing, and then you can understand the whole, and that helps you understand the thing. So if we look at love, love at its highest level is unconditional, like the love that a, that an ultimately loving mother or father would give to their child, or the, level that, the love that God would give to someone God being whatever you believe in, right? That that level is unconditional. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that you can do, say, that would change the unconditional love. Cool. 
So now if we interchange the word love with identity, now what that shows us is at, at its highest form, identity is unconditional. There is no, like if you asked an ultimately loving parent or God or whatever, if they loved you and they said yes, and you said why, if they were unconditionally loving, they would just look at you and smile and say, just because. Mm-hmm. An ultimately loving parent or God would not rationalize or justify themselves at all. Oh. Because as soon as they did, they'd be getting into conditions. Yeah. Right? But they would know better than that if they were ultimately unconditionally loving. They would know better than to get into the conditions because then that would make it about something when really it's about nothing or everything, however you want to think about it. Hmm. You're sharing, excuse me, you're sharing a lot of valuable points and principles. A little something in my throat. You're sharing a lot of valuable points and principles that no matter where anybody is on their journey, and a lot of people listening may not even be entrepreneurs at all. They may be people with entrepreneurial tendencies. They may not be wanting to go full on into that path. And yet, this conversation is so absolutely important to every area of your life. You know, I'm I'm thinking of, of... asking you about your relationship, actually, because me personally, Mm -hmm. I've just recently um, gotten into the first really deep committed relationship that I've I've allowed myself to to get involved with in many, many years. And it's just funny, so many of the patterns that that become revealed um, when we're deep in it with with somebody, um, you know, with the opposite success or the same sex, whatever that might be. But um, for me, mm-hmm. I've just like realized so much of the patterns that are still there. And also, because it's a conscious and evolving relationship, both of us are giving each other the necessary space to consciously work through these patterns without judging one another for having them. And um, I know that you are in a very um, purposeful relationship. I believe, did you two just get married? Uh, yep, we got married about three months ago. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So I'm curious what, you know, maybe how have some of these principles that you're sharing, how has that played into the relationship side of things? Um, well, I think that in a relationship, um, a relationship thrives off of two thriving individuals. <laughs> and I think that there really are, if, if you boil it down to my black and white mind, there's really two types of relationships. There's the type that people get into to pray that the sum will be greater than the parts. Or there is the type where the sum is greater because of the parts. Yes. And so that means that each individual is responsible for themselves and their part in the relationship. But they're not using the relationship as a vehicle to help them get somewhere that they're not. The, the, the relationship is a vehicle that synergizes where they already are. 
it makes the destination that they're at even better rather than hoping that it'll take them somewhere new. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that a synergistic relationship can't take you somewhere new, but the, it's really, it comes down to motive. Why are you doing it? Why are you in it? If it's, if it's to get something that you don't have, then that's a fundamental challenge because it's hard to get something that you don't have, right? That's, that's kind of like, again, prosperity. That's, that's like, kind of like thinking about scarcity and negativity and, and trying to attract prosperity. It just doesn't work. Like you can't, it's impossible to, to get what you don't have if you don't have it. It's, it sounds kind of like a paradox, but it's, it's true. Um, so I find that a lot of people get into relationships seeking something that they don't have, right? Like this is very mm-hmm. common. They, like they want love, but they're not willing to give themselves love. Mm-hmm. So if you can't give yourself love, then first of all, it's really hard to give someone else love. And if you do, it's that weird, funky, like overgiving love. Um, and when you get it, yeah, you can get it, but again, it doesn't nourish you to the same level. It doesn't feed your soul the same way. So, yeah, my relationship has been very clear that I spent a lot of time developing myself before I got into the relationship. And that way I could I didn't show up needing anything and I was at a place where I could really give and deliver a lot because I didn't need anything. Um, and on the flip side, I was able to receive a lot mm-hmm. because I had been good at practicing not only giving to myself, but, but receiving from other people, but receiving in a way where I could really genuinely receive. That's a great point. I, I want to actually highlight and maybe just touch on that just for the time we have left receptivity, right? Like, I, I've noticed in myself where, you know, my relationship has helped me understand the masculine and feminine dynamics and the terms that, you know, my, my partner, she, she said when we first got into it, she's like, you know, I, I'm just trying to give to you and you're not receiving me. And it took me like, a, took me a day or two to really sit with that. And I realized, wow, every time she tries to give to me, I'm immediately trying to give back. Instead mm-hmm. of just actually like receiving the feminine, the feminine kind of brilliance that's coming through, because it's a part of me that wants to be nourished, but I'm somehow kind of blocking it by thinking that I need to exchange what she's giving me. Because essentially, I don't know what it is. Maybe I didn't feel like I was good enough or something. But the the point was that I wasn't receiving what her and life was attempting to give me. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's called deflection. Okay. Mm. Yep. Very common. It's very common in people who have worthiness challenges. <laughs> um, if, you, if you don't feel like you're worthy of receiving, then the easiest and most kind of subtle thing to do is just to deflect. It takes someone who is very saturated into their worthiness to receive a lot and then do nothing. Oof. Yeah. To just sit with it and own it. And not not deflect it, not transmute it into something else, but just to fully own it and have it. And then do nothing. That's it. Just get fully 
saturated with it, nourished by it, and then that's it. And then if you want to give back someday, great. But it's but again, it's motive. It's it's only because you want to. It's not because it's a it's it's like a sly, socially acceptable you know deflection mechanism. Mm. <clears throat> Shannon, do you find with the people that you work with that this deflection kind of quality surfaces um, maybe more than anything else? Because you said that it's really an extension of unworthiness issues, and it's my assumption that that's the biggest kind of epidemic going underneath it all. Yeah, a thousand percent. One of the very first pieces of the puzzle that I work with with every single client is worthiness. Mm-hmm. Because everyone wants more. Like, I don't know anyone in the world who doesn't want more of something. But again, like, I can help people get pretty much whatever they want. But if they're not, if they can't receive it, then again, it'll either not feed them the way that it should or they'll sabotage it. And it's, and it's not, like, if I think of myself like a doctor, that's not the most loving, service based thing that I could do is knowingly get someone a result um, with the understanding that the underlying piece of them that really is not there yet will most likely either not fully saturate into it or sabotage it. If I know that going into something and I help someone be super successful, then that's like, uh, that's like pretty evil if you ask me. So I go to work on that right away because Yes, I want my people to be successful, whatever that means for them. Most of my people, it's financially. Um, but they won't be a success if they get all the money and all the accolades and all the whatever, and they can't own it. So we go to work on that first so that as they begin to become more successful, they can get nourished and saturated into it as they go. And it can feed them and it can help them produce even bigger and better results as they go. You're striking a lot of personal chords with me, and it's also, but it's beautiful because it's also the same chords I, I also see in all my clients, and um, really giving me personally a lot of clarity and inspiration for how I want to make a bigger, real impact in everyone's life that I either work with or the direction of a podcast like this and the conversations that we continue to have. Um, you know, and what's most relevant for the hearts and the minds of everybody out there that's going to be blessed by these kind of messages. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this I mean, this conversation, I, you know, uh, you could probably tell by the, the flow of it, but I didn't actually plan any questions for it because I just had an intuition that we would just hop on and jam out. And I'm so glad that it went in this direction you know, for me personally, to hear it is really important at this particular time. Um, but then also knowing how many people listen to podcasts like this that are that are wanting hope, they're wanting insight, they're wanting just one little nugget to inspire them to get through maybe a challenging day. And I, I really believe that this conversation over delivered in that respect. Awesome. Well, I was honored to spend the time here with you today. Mm. What is maybe one concluding insight that you would like to share with the audience as we uh, as we move out? 
Um, courage. Mm. It takes courage to be brutally honest with what you want. Oof. Like, like what you really want. And so I encourage you to have the courage to be brutally honest about what you want, but also who you want to be. And then from there, decide on what is the identity that I get to adopt in order to be, do, and have those things. Mm. Absolutely perfect. I'm going to take the time to ruminate and integrate this conversation. And I really hope that all of you listening do the same. Don't just let this be another conversation that washes over your ears and gives you a little bit of inspiration to get through that gym workout or whatever your particular thing is for the day, but then you forget about it. Um, Please take this in seriously. This is a wake-up call for all of us to really step up our game in life and be the person that we're capable of being. Shannon, thank you so much for joining me. And where can everybody find out more about your work? Um, The best place would just be Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. We have like two, three minutes. Um, Okay. I have to. So most people in our industry actually have a whole marketing thing and a whole like, you don't really take that approach. You're more personal, personable, aren't you? Like if people want to connect with you on Facebook or something, you make yourself available for people. Yes. Um, because at the end of the day, I believe the greatest achievement of humanity is humanity. And I think that it's the most important thing for us to keep that in mind because as technologically we grow, the inherent probability of disconnection is very real. And we've already started to see that in some of the culture. Um, So I have the luxury of I only work with a very small amount of clients at any given time. So – um, uh, I've built a lot of time and space into my schedule. So I am very, um, yeah, I, I, I am not one of those people who's so busy that I don't have time to connect with the people who, um, truly would benefit from connecting with me. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome answer. That's a great reminder for all, us all. The greatest achievement of humanity is humanity itself. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me. This was an honor and pleasure. Thank you, Ronnie.